Today's reading is taken from Romans chapter five, verse twelve to twenty-one. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against everyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many die by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin, the judgment followed one sin and a broad condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and a broad justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigns through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abandoned provision of grace and the gift of the righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law that was brought in so the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, Grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks, Ivy. We're going to um, yeah come to uh the end of the roman series um today well we're going to take a break and we'll come back after um the summer um we're 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 doing one through five and after the summer we'll go six through eight um but this is a particularly difficult passage so i encourage you to get your bibles out and once again um check as we go through it and go back and and read it again and see what god has to say through this text but let me pray that god will speak to us to us this morning Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God. You've spoken the world into existence. You've called each of us with your word to yourself. You've given us new life in Christ Jesus with your word. And now as we come to your word, you will speak to us. Would you speak to us this morning uh, through the power of your spirit? Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive your word gladly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've ranted to many of you about how I feel about uh, the diamond engagement ring industry, so I won't do it again. I think it's a a whole scam. Um, But I do think that uh, this is a diamond uh, um, ring that Mary has. 
I just think that diamond, diamonds are really pretty. I mean, I still think that diamonds are really pretty things. And the thing about diamond, you can't really see it, but uh, from, uh, from there, maybe you can, it, is that it sparkles, right? It sparkles in all sorts of different ways. It sparkles differently when this light um, is uh, shown upon it. In the, from this angle, maybe it, it sparkles differently in a different setting or different color of light. And this is why, because it's so beautiful. Beautiful, and people give diamonds to others. Of course, we've been given something that is even greater, even more brilliant than diamonds. We've been given the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. And in this letter to Romans, what Paul has been doing is he's been trying to take the gospel and to show you, show you what the gospel is from different angles, from this angle, from that angle, to see the greatness and the beauty of the gospel that we have received. We've heard how God demonstrates His justice on the cross. On the cross, God demonstrates that He is just. But because it's not us on the cross, but because it's Jesus on the cross, how He can also justify sinners like us, how He can call us right with Him. And this gift of justification is given freely to not those who are trying to be like Jesus and to who, who do the best job of it, but freely to all those who come to Jesus in faith. It's given to us freely. And last week, we saw how it gives us access to God, peace with God. And we saw how it gives us a new future, hope of the new future that is coming. That is all given to us. And Paul shows us today in this section of chapter 5 that the justification by grace, it gives us not just a future. Uh, it doesn't just solve per, uh, superficial problems, but the, the gospel, uh, it does nothing less than create us anew as new human beings, new kind of human beings in, uh, through Jesus Christ. Benjamin Franklin said that in life, uh, two things are in inevitable, uh, death and taxes. But he is wrong in that plenty of people avoid taxes. <laughs> plenty of people avoid taxes. They don't pay their taxes but death comes to all. Every single person who is born in this world dies. That is true. Death has reigned, as we see in verse 14. Death has reigned since the time of Adam. Every single person has died. And you know the story. When God created Adam and Eve, he commanded them. He gave them all the trees, all the fruit in, in, in the Garden of Eden. He said, you can eat from every single one except one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this, of course, was God's way of saying, you do not define what is right and wrong. It is me, God, who defines what is right and wrong. But Adam and Eve, they weren't content with being like God, being created in the image of God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to define what's right and wrong themselves. They wanted to see it for themselves, define it for themselves, and so they disobeyed. And so sin entered the world. And through sin, death entered the world. And as we see in verse 12, because in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Death came to all people because all 
sinned. This is one of the more difficult and maybe the controversial part of chapter 5. So I want to clarify uh, a bit of what this means. This doesn't mean that death entered, uh, came to all people because we all sin like Adam, which is true. We all do sin like Adam. But the grammar and the, the text is actually stronger than that. What it says is that when Adam sinned, we all sinned as if we were in Adam somehow together. When Adam sinned, death came to all people because we all sinned in him. I know that in our modern individualistic ears, this, sound, this is jarring. We don't like hearing this. You know, why should I have to pay for something that Adam did many, 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 many thousands of years ago? Why am I held responsible for what Adam did? Like it or not, though, this is how the world is, isn't it? Think about it. <clears throat> Barney, Corey, Tommy. My children are born in Hong Kong. Why? Because I live in Hong Kong. Because I, at some point, decided to move to Hong Kong, Mary and I. And that is true. The children pay the, the consequences of, of the, the, the parents' decisions. When parents make decisions, it doesn't just affect them. It affects their children as well. And Adam and Eve were not created just like a normal person. They were represented. They were created to be representatives of humanity. They were king and queen. They were given the world to reign like God on behalf of God. And the, con the actions of kings and queens have consequences far greater, far beyond um, their own individual being. Uh, so, let me put it this way. Um, when the president of a country declares war, the whole country goes to war. Russia goes to war against Ukraine and Ukraine against Russia. Everyone in the country, whether they like it or not, are affected directly or indirectly by the war. As John Donne wrote, no man is an island entirely, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of a continent, a part of a main. We're all connected, and much more when the person is the representative of this greater thing. So Adam's sin meant entrance into the world and the whole of humankind. So Genesis 3, sin and death enters through the world. And what happens in Genesis 4? Cain kills Abel. In Genesis chapter 5, we get this list of genealogy. Well, why is it there? It's not, I can't remember how many people are listed there, but each paragraph, it tells us uh, who they were. But that each refrain, is, it ends, each one ends with this line, and he died, and he died, and he died. You know, we think that death is natural. We think that everyone who lives on earth should die. This is just part of how it is. What the Genesis writer is trying to underscore is this is unnatural. This is an intrusion. It didn't have to be this way. It's because Adam and Eve sinned that there is fallenness in, over this world, and death has reigned since the days of Adam and Eve. It's not meant to be this way. And this problem of sin and death, as you know, is not something 
that little things, little solutions um, can solve. All the things that we try, right? It doesn't solve this fundamental problem of sin and death. It's a problem that requires a recreation. It's, it's a problem that requires a new kind of humanity. Humanity that doesn't belong to Adam. So we get this verse at the end, at the very end of verse 14, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. Or in another place, Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. So God became a man in Jesus Christ. He became a new Adam, the last Adam, the firstborn of the new creation. You see, the doctrine of justification by faith alone brings hope of the new future because uh, it, it creates this new possibility of being a new kind of a human being, a humanity that is, not, that is how it was meant to be, humanity that is unaffected by sin and death. Friends, the world has divided the world in so many different ways. But when God sees the world, he sees two people, two humanities, one that belongs to Adam, one that belongs to new Adam, Jesus Christ. There's only that divide that God sees. So who do you belong to? To whom do you belong? The first Adam or the last Adam, Jesus, whose are you? But although Jesus is called the last Adam, the two, Adam and Jesus, are incomparable. They really cannot be compared, can they? Because Jesus brings, what Jesus brings is so much greater, so much better than what Adam brought. And so Paul repeats this phrase in verses 15 and 17 twice. How much more? How much more? And he starts a section in verse 15 with this line, doesn't he? Gift is not like the trespass. The gift is not like the trespass. What Jesus brings is unlike what Adam brought. This is a complicated section. I hope the overall meaning will become clear. And what I've done is uh, I've highlighted some of the repeated words, and these are only, once again, two categories. One... um, one, word, one set of words belong to Adam, and the other set of words belong to Jesus. As you can see, um, the, uh, the first Adam is associated with words like trespass, sin, judgment, condemnation, and death. On the other hand, the second Adam, Jesus, is associated with obedience, grace, gift, justification, righteousness, and life. And that is at the heart of it. Uh, compare, for example, uh, Adam's trespass and sin to Jesus' obedience. Remember, when Adam was created, he was given the dominion over all things, over every living thing, over the birds of the air, and also things that move on the ground, which includes the snake. Uh, but instead of subduing the snake, bringing this unruly thing under the lordship of Yahweh God, the creator, Adam succumbs and he listens to this creepy thing and becomes, falls under its power, under its sin, and rebels against God. Jesus, on the other hand, 
Remember what he prays on the Garden of, Ge- uh, Garden of Gethsemane of Eden. I mean, Ga- uh, Garden of uh, Gethsemane. He prays, not my will, but yours will be done. He obeys even to his death on the cross and thereby wounding, crushing the head of the serpent. Compare judgment and grace uh, and, and gift, grace and gift and judgment. Adam was justly condemned. Think about it. When God said that death would come, death came. That's just. God told him what was going to happen. And the judgment that he receives is a just judgment. But what Jesus does, there's nothing just about it. It's over and beyond. We do not deserve God's Son becoming a human being, living and dying for us, giving himself to us. That's all grace. That is undeserved, unmerited grace. And it's given to us as a gift. Not you, you don't earn it. God just freely gives it to you. Compare the judgment and grace and gift of Jesus. And compare Adam's sin and condemnation and justification and righteousness. Of course, Adam sinned. A sin led to condemnation, guilt, and shame. Remember Adam in the Garden of Eden when God showed up? He hid because he knew. Even before the condemnation came, he knew he was guilty. He knew he was ashamed. So he sowed a little fig leaf and hid himself, and he hid from God. But what does Jesus bring? Justification by faith. Us being declared as righteous, without any shame and guilt. Us being able to stand in God's presence, knowing that we are righteous, because of what Jesus has done for us. We're righteous in front of God because of Jesus, the second Adam. Adam brought sin and death, and Jesus brought obedience. Um, Through obedience, life, not just life, verse 21, eternal life to all those who trust in him. I don't know if you also look at verse 17 carefully. Did you notice this? It's slightly... um, uh, different. The result of Adam's sin, it says, death reigned over us. Uh, And uh, Paul doesn't say that in Christ, life reigns over us. No, that's not what he says. Before we become slaves to sin and death, we are enslaved. We're in bondage. But through Jesus, we are set free. We reign over life. We are we become, once again, what we uh, were meant to be, kings and queens, co-reigners with Christ, co-rulers um, over the world with Christ. And I think this is, uh, this is a little side note, but one of my favorite psalms in, um, in the Bible is Psalm 8. It's got that great line, who is man that you care for him, that you're mindful of him? But um, it also has this line that you created us uh, to be a little lower than the angels, but remember, after Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection, what happens? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, we will rule over the angels. Something has changed. What has changed? That we were created lower than the angels. Now we're judging the angels. Well, we become co-rulers with Christ. What Jesus de- uh, deserves is what we get. 
we are restored in the rightful position, actually greater than the position that was uh, lost through Adam and Eve. So Paul says, how much more, how much greater, how great is our salvation? And let's quickly go back to this, to this uh, thought that it's unfair. It's unfair to be included in Adam's sin when we had done nothing wrong. Friends, it's unfair the other way around as well. We've done nothing. We've done nothing, but because of Jesus, we're given everything. This is how the Welsh preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, put it. Look at yourself in Adam. Though you had done nothing, you were declared a sinner. Look at yourself in Christ. See that though you have done nothing, you are declared to be righteous. That is the parallel. Friends, this passage tells us that if, if Adam is your representative, whatever applies to Adam applies to you. Fallen, judged, cursed, and banished to death. If Christ is your representative, whatever is true of Christ belongs to you. So church, what kind of a week have you had? Maybe you had a tough week, sinful week. Maybe you had a, you had a week when you doubt your value um, in, um, uh, um, as a person. However bad it was, however bad you might feel about yourself, if you are in Christ, you belong to Him. You are a new creation. Everything that applies to Jesus applies to you. You are of Christ, justified, righteous, loved, reborn, renewed, and his life is at work in you. Of course, this is all through the grace of Jesus. He reminds us again, as we end in verses 20 to 21, that this is all by grace, not by our works. He reminds us that the law wasn't given to justify us, to uh, allow us to stand in before God and say, actually, I deserve this place. No, the law was given to Moses and later through Jesus, um, not to lessen our sin, but to deepen the sense of our sin. Uh, Pastor Chuck Swindle says that uh, when he was young, uh, he had a paper route, uh, which means that he delivered these newspapers to di different people's homes. And now if you're a uh, youth, um, did you know that paper, newspapers were printed in paper <laughs> before? <laughs> they were printed in paper, and they were delivered by some people like you door to door to, di to different people's homes. That actually happened. But, so he had this paper route, but each morning what he did was he was on a bicycle, uh, and he would go and he would cut corners. Uh, he didn't want to go all the way around the sidewalk, and so he would cut corners, and over time, in the lawn, this little groove would appear. He knew that what he was doing was not right, but he did it anyway. But one day, this sign appeared. It said, keep off the grass, no bikes. Do you know what he did the next day when he saw the sign? Well, he did the same thing anyway, except this time he had no, no excuse no excuse for doing what he did. And one day, this man caught him, and he, in his words, he says, uh, he shared with me few things from his heart. Same wrong things, same wrong, but because of the sign, sin deepened. 
the trespass deepened, it increased. This is a function of the law. We know God has given us a conscience. He know, we know what we're doing wrong. But when God's law appears, it convicts us. It makes us without excuse for doing the things that we already do. And of course, the Ten Commandments would be enough to convict us not to make any idols, not to worship uh, um, uh, idols, and, uh, to keep the Sabbath holy, to keep the Lord's, uh, not to use the Lord's name in vain, not to envy, not to steal, not to uh, um, uh, lie, all these things. We already know, but God's law convicts us. But Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I mean, that's devastating, isn't it? You have heard it was said, but I say to you, We know that objectifying men and women who are made in God's image is wrong. We know it's wrong, but as Jesus put it, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed adultery in his heart. We know that breaking a promise is wrong, but Jesus says, let your yes be yes and no be no. Anything beyond comes from the evil one. We know that that if we do good works to show off, uh, to other people. We know that that's wrong. We know that that's hypocrisy, that's va- vanity or whatever. But Jesus says, do everything in secret. Fast in secret. Give in secret. Pray in secret. Have only God in mind as you live your life. And all that law is given to us to convict us, to see how far we've fallen short of God's glory how far our hearts are away, far away from God. But when sin increased, grace grace increased even more, all the more. Church, we are sinners. And that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? Because the, 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 um, the gospel doesn't minimize our sinfulness. In fact, it convicts us. It deepens our sense of sinfulness. And one young Christian in the church keeps saying, you know, before I was, became a Christian, I didn't think that I was a sinner. But now that I'm a Christian, I know I was. I know that I am a sinner. We become more aware of our sins because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And friends, it's okay if God is convicting you of your sins. It's okay that you, you, you feel this sense of shame and loss because of your sins. It's good that sometimes we feel that way because then we'll know the depth and the brilliance of God's grace. He is stronger. Jesus is stronger. His grace is stronger. And His grace, His righteousness, and eternal life are His final words for us. You know, honestly, I can't think of too many applications <laughs> from this sermon. I can't. But like admiring a diamond ring from different angles, I hope you can see how amazing God's grace for you is. I hope you'll see it again and again. I hope you'll see the brilliance of what God has done for you. And I hope you'll admire it. And I hope you'll rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray.
Oh God, you are so good to us. Lord, we know that when we are sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us, that we are loved beyond our imagination. When we were enslaved to our sin, enslaved to death, as when death reigned, you sent your son Jesus to recreate us, to make us anew, to bring us into this hope of a new future that is coming. Lord, we know that there's nothing that we have done to deserve this, that this is by your grace and love alone. Lord, help us to know this truth in the depth of our hearts. Help us to know the sinfulness of our hearts, but also the greatness of our salvation, that we might rejoice in it. We might become a people who rejoice. We might become a people who share this love with great joy to the world around us. Lord, help us to think of how great, brilliant you are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.